Good morning. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. I'm Duarte Geraldino. Good morning. It's Tuesday, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. I'm Shamita Basu. Good morning. It's Tuesday, February. Yeah, you know what's going on here. The movie, the day. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. President Joe Biden and a group of moderate Republicans met for about two hours to discuss COVID relief spending, but they could not agree. Republicans say $1.9 trillion is just too much. They want to cut Biden's plan by two-thirds so it doesn't add too much more to the government's tab. Here's Ohio Senator Rob Portman. We really want to help those who need it the most. And at a time of unprecedented deficits and debts, and a debt as a percentage of the economy is as high as it's been in our nation's history since World War II, we need to be sure this is targeted. But the Biden administration wants to go big. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the economy needs an infusion of cash, and it needs it right now. Without further action, we risk a longer, more painful recession now and longer-term scarring of the economy later. National debt is one of those political footballs. It's an issue that lawmakers tend to punt back and forth, usually pointing the finger at the other party for irresponsibly driving it up. And that's basically what Republicans are saying about Biden's pandemic stimulus package. But you'll remember, most Republicans were totally on board with President Trump's tax cuts. And according to the Tax Policy Center, those cuts will add up to $2 trillion to the national debt. Okay, politics aside... There are other significant factors in this debate. Economists and Wall Street investors say the debt may not matter right now. Political reports, a lot of business leaders are urging Congress, spend whatever you need to get the economy back on track. They point to interest rates, which are historically and amazingly low. The U.S. government can borrow money dirt cheap from the chair of the Fed, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, top financial leaders are telling lawmakers, jumpstart the economy now. Relax about the debt. Well, relax up until a certain point. One of the biggest concerns about high debt is inflation. In theory, too much debt causes prices to shoot up, which means people would have a harder time buying groceries and stuff that they need. But Politico writes, from the Fed to Wall Street, there is agreement that we are nowhere near a dangerous level of inflation. And I want to point out that American attitudes are shifting, too. According to Pew Polling, during Obama's presidency, as many as 72 percent of Americans cited deficit reduction as a top priority. They didn't want the government to spend more than it takes in. But in Pew surveys from last year, less than half of adults called the deficit a major issue. So Republicans are trying to figure out just what to do about Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. She has a history of racist and anti-Semitic comments, not to mention more and more people are starting to notice her embrace of conspiracy theories. She promoted lies that the California wildfires were started by space lasers and school shootings were hoaxes. And she liked to comment calling for Nancy Pelosi's execution. Some Republicans have had enough. 
Yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell told The Hill the kind of person who promotes these lies is not living in reality. He didn't name Green, but it was very obvious he was talking about her. He called the loony lies and conspiracy theories a, quote, cancer for the Republican Party. Politico says the GOP is in a bind. Former President Trump called Green a star. And she's claiming she raised $1.6 million since her old social media post came to light. Green represents the ideological battle over who will control the party going into the midterm elections. Yeah, some Republicans worry that the controversies around her will energize Democratic voters and depress GOP turnout in 2022. But Politico's reporting Republican leadership is reluctant to completely disavow Green and the very energetic Trump base that she represents. And she's not backing down. She tweeted over the weekend that she will, quote, never apologize. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is scheduled to talk with her sometime this week. And Democrats are trying to force McCarthy's hand. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer gave Republicans a 72-hour ultimatum, saying if McCarthy does not strip Green of her committee assignments, Democrats are going to bring the issue to the House floor. And this might only be a first step. Other punishments are still on the table, including censure and even expulsion from Congress. The pandemic is creating a generation of orphans. Nearly half a million Americans have died from COVID-19, and some were parents. This weekend, 60 Minutes spoke to young people who've lost parents. Kobe Dresick shared one of her favorite memories of her late father. Every, like, Sunday morning, we would always be, like, the first ones to wake up. You would wake up at, like, 5 in the morning. And I would, like, wake up at 8, and he would, like, always, like, take me out to, like, Starbucks or something just so we could, like, spend that, like, time together before everybody else woke up. Another person profiled in this piece is Emmerich Falta. He's 21 years old and told 60 Minutes how he recently lost his mother to COVID-19. She was a single parent. Emmerich was responsible for planning his mother's funeral. That night when I got the call from the hospital... Um, it was a long, long night. The next morning, after virtually no sleep, I had a moment where I was like, I have to figure out how this is going to work. NBC spoke with some experts who emphasized that for children, losing a loved one to COVID-19 is particularly challenging. Families aren't holding funerals like they usually would or gathering to grieve in the same ways. And kids don't necessarily have the social support of in-person schooling. And on top of all of that, Dorte, there's this uncharted area for grieving kids right now. For example, if a child loses a parent to cancer, there aren't many people who are going to deny the fact that cancer exists. But with COVID, you can still find people who don't believe the disease is a big deal or who just don't take it seriously. There's a two-year-old girl that's written about in this piece. Her name is Elsie. Her dad died from COVID-19, and she's just traumatized. Her mom tells NBC News Elsie stopped eating normally and sometimes sits and stares blankly into the distance. Elsie's mother enrolled her into therapy to help her cope with the loss. She's also going to therapy herself, in part to learn how best to support her daughter. Some of the children in this NBC reporting express fear that other people they love are going to die of COVID, too. 
Five-year-old Mia's father went to the hospital while she was asleep one night, and he never came home. He died five days before her birthday. Now her mother tells NBC that Mia is scared to fall asleep. She's worried that if she does, when she wakes up, her mom could be gone too. If you know a child who's struggling, there are steps you can take to help. One pediatrician tells NBC News it's important to acknowledge the loss. Don't ignore it. Allowing a child to grieve and be sad is okay. And the doctor also says, this is better than telling them to be strong in the face of adversity. There are also some Facebook groups now where families who've lost loved ones to COVID can just talk, offer tips, give each other advice. The next Super Bowl is going to be very different off the field. Part of this is who's going to be in the stands. And also, how for the first time in its history, a particular type of artist is going to perform before tens of millions of viewers. Easily the biggest audience in America. That's right. This year's Super Bowl lineup includes a poet, Amanda Gorman. You'll remember her from the inauguration. She read her poem, The Hill We Climb. NPR reports the poem she'll read this weekend will honor three Americans who've done extraordinary work during the pandemic and have been named honorary captains for the Super Bowl. There's an educator named Tremaine Davis, a nurse manager named Susie Dorner, and a Marine vet, James Martin, who does work supporting veterans and high school athletes. The NFL is also giving away 7,500 tickets to healthcare workers who've already been vaccinated. Most of these healthcare workers will come from the Tampa area. That's where the game is being played. But all 32 NFL clubs will be able to invite healthcare workers from their cities to the big game. And while this is all great, it's a nice way to celebrate people who've done so much during the pandemic, the NFL itself has a mixed record on COVID prevention. There's been ample reporting on outbreaks throughout the season, games that have been postponed. In total, there were more than 700 positive cases and the league sold more tickets than other major sports, and it will again on Sunday. In addition to those healthcare workers, another 14,500 fans are expected. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow.